Hey everybody, Jeff here real quick before you listen to this interview. David and I are going to be talking about the Kickstarter Immortal, which at the time of the recording was live on Kickstarter. And one of the things you're going to hear is that it was doing very well at the time of our recording. But since then, David has gotten some feedback that he felt was very important and necessary from his backers and the surrounding community. He decided to shut down the Kickstarter, revamp it a little bit, and he's going to relaunch it June 23rd, 2015. So keep that in mind when you're listening to this, especially towards the end. Uh, you know, some of that stuff's changed. Obviously, the timeline has changed, but some of the other th- details of the Kickstarter may change as well. One thing you can do, though, is I will have a preview link in the show notes instead of the normal live link. So you can go check out the Kickstarter page as it's being built. Click on that Notify Me on Launch button. And, of course, once it's actually live, that will redirect to the live Kickstarter page. So, again, he's going to relaunch Immortal June 23rd, 2015. All right, with that, go ahead and check out the interview. It was a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded Wednesday, June 3rd, 2015. That's right, we are back with another interview, and we've got somebody with us that has a project on Kickstarter right now, who is joining me on Skype tonight. My name is David Sanwesa, I'm the founder of Gamagami, and the creator of Goblin's Jewel Fairies Rule, and Immortal, which is currently on Kickstarter. Yes. So we've got somebody that is uh, not unfamiliar with the Kickstarter process, but back at it again. Absolutely. Maybe we can learn some valuable lessons along the way. <laughs> but before we get there, uh, we've got to, of course, do our normal warm-up questions. So are you ready for probably the most hard-hitting journalism that you will ever face? Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we always like to know, and, and this one you can answer as general or specific as you like, but we always like to know, besides making games, uh, if that's not your full-time job, what else do you do for a living, sir? Uh, making games actually is my full-time job. Uh, I've actually been working in the computer game industry for uh, 15 years. I started like right out of college and uh, continued to work at a variety of studios in, in Boston I worked overseas a little bit, and then over here in Las Vegas uh, as a uh, 3D artist and animator. So for for many years, I was creating games on the visual side, uh, along with a lot of other talented people. But then at the beginning of 2012, I actually left my video game uh, job uh, and started my own company, which is Gameogami, uh, with the intent of developing and publishing my own games as an independent studio. Nice. And that's what I've been doing ever since. So Gamogami's been around for just a little bit over three years now. Uh, we've released one published product, uh, Goblin's Jewel Fairy's Rule, and working on my second game right now, which is Immortal. Nice. Maybe we can get into some of uh, the skills that you were bring- able to bring over from the video game side that has helped you on the tabletop side as well, because that's always fun to hear. And I always like to hear different perspectives on that kind of stuff. Uh, sure. Uh, so in, in terms of what I've, I've brought uh, to the table from my past experience, experience in video games is as an artist, I have a lot of those skills that I can apply uh, to my own games through Gamogami in terms of like graphic design. So designing, you know, elements of, of cards, for example, uh, board and box layout. As a 2D artist, I can also do a lot of the illustrations. Although for a lot of that work, I, I often team up or contract artwork. Uh, out to other artists who are even better than I am at it. For example, in Goblin's Jewel Fairy's Rule, I had uh, this comic book artist named uh, Mike Mayhack do all the uh, illustrations for that game, and he did in a tremendous job. So I'd say one of the skills I brought is not only just the fact that I can do a lot of the artwork myself, but the fact that I have a lot of connections that I've made over the years with, with other artists and other people in the game industry in general, and I know how to leverage those and get in touch with other really talented people. 
All right. And I know I've already kind of sidebarred my own uh, warm up questions, but, but that's <laughs> sure. okay. Uh, cause one of the things since you're on your toes here. <laughs> well, that, that's how, that's what, that's kind of what I think people expect from me about this one is, is, uh, <laughs> I, I will squirrel off of any little comment that, that gets made along the way. One of the things I find interesting, cause you're not the first person that I've talked to even kind of recently here that's come maybe over from the video game side and somebody that has a, a strong art background. And I, I think it's interesting. And I think it's always kind of worth focusing in on a little bit. The fact that even though you could potentially do all of the art yourself in house and keep all of that internal and, you know, maybe not spend that extra money, but of course you would be spending an extra time resource. Yes. But it's always interesting to me that somebody, you know, cause let me back up a little bit where I'm coming from is cause you know, a lot of us that do game design, but have no art sense whatsoever <laughs> look at somebody like you as almost kind of like the holy grail right it's like oh man i wish i could do art my own art and i wish i could do my own graphic design layout and then i i would be set my game would be perfect and i wouldn't have to share any of the you know the money or and all that stuff and again you're the second person i've had come on with that art background that's basically said you know what sometimes even we have to outsource for whatever reason uh aesthetic time it just whatever it is but it's it's not all you know it's not all uh grass is greener on the other side like a lot of people would like to think well absolutely and it's really funny that you bring that up uh because especially about you know looking you say you look at me and and, then my sort of skill set and experience like oh that's like the holy grail like i wish you could do that i look at other people uh, for example, like making video games. Uh, I, I have a friend, uh, who I've worked with in the past. His name is Thomas Happ. He's the creator of a game called Axiom Verge, which was recently released, I think, for PlayStation Network and also on Steam. Uh, and he is the sole person who's been working on that game. He did all the, the graphics for it. He did all the programming for it. He did the music for it. Top to bottom, he did everything involved on this hit game. And I see him as like, oh, man, I wish I could do all that coding. You know, I wish I had those skills where I could be this one-man army like him. So like you said, the grass is always greener on the other side. But one thing from your aspect then, right, is if you did attempt to do everything in-house, just you and you're the sole person behind everything uh, involved in that game, art, the design, everything, then you actually, I mean, at some, some point, that's almost a detriment at times because you have to divide your time in ways that somebody that just kind of like says, Oh, I got to get somebody else to do the art doesn't have to divide out their time. I mean, they got to spend sure. a little bit of time maybe working with the person and, and approving and, and talking about what they need. But while that person is off working on the art, they're still able to 100% focus on the design aspect. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I wear a lot of hats as the game designer and the art director and graphic designer and one of the illustrators and the secretary and the accountant and pretty much everything else involved in, you know, uh, basically a one-man game studio, which also contracts work out, you know, to other people or or I also sometimes partner with other companies. Like I partnered with Game Salute to help produce Dobbin Shul Fairy's Rule. But basically, Game Ogami is at its heart a one-man studio. And so balancing those different responsibilities, it's, it's not even just about the amount of time it takes. It's like the context shifting, right? Like the fact that you got to put on your different hat, gear your mind towards a different type of task. And that in itself burns a, a lot of energy and it takes a lot of focus to try to focus on one thing at a time. Because if you don't, you could screw it up. All right, exactly. Right, so that's why it really helps to get other people involved, whether you can hire someone or, or team up with someone. Even if you have those skills, you still might not necessarily be the best person for the job just because your time and your focus will be limited. You just hit on what I was going to kind of go for. <laughs> that is awesome because one of the things I was going to say is, uh, and, and you just drove it home, is when you're looking at a lot of times some successful businesses, even smaller businesses, and let's face it, I mean, what you're doing, I mean, we're talking about gaming and yeah, it's all fun, but we're talking about gaming from the business side of everything. So when yes. you start looking at these smaller businesses that are successful uh, and even larger businesses, one of the things that you'll find a lot if you dig deep 
and kind of look at what's going on. There's somebody there that realizes what they can't do for whatever reason. Again, time, whatever else. And they're willing to let somebody else do that so they can focus their time and energy on what they know that they can do to make something successful. Yes, definitely. And I've had a lot of people ask me, like, well, like, well, David, you're an artist. Like, why don't you just do all the artwork yourself? Why, why are you paying other people? It's like, well, if I did that, Immortal would come out like in 2023. Right? Like, <laughs> it's just like, there's so much artwork here to do. And I, I I'm doing some of it and, and I, I try really hard to schedule myself to do as much as I can here and there. And, and I want to do more for the project as, as it wraps up because I take a lot of pride in it. Like I want my artwork to get out there there. For example, like immortal is a game all about mythology, right? So there's certain mythological characters that I really want to draw. Like I want to be the one to paint the Wendigo, you know, or, or to do Hercules, right? To the characters that I have in my head and I want to bring, bring to life. So I'm making sure that I am doing some of that just, for that personal pride and for that personal expression. But the other like 70 characters that the game is going to need, I can't do all that myself and get this game out in any conceivable amount of time. So that's why I need help. And I've been really fortunate to, to find help from such talented people. Well, you know what? Let me, uh, let me steer my ship back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, sorry to sidetrack again. No, this it's, it's awesome. I, I love. Uh, the conversation we've had just even so far and, and, and what, what we're kind of delving into. Uh, and again, it's, it's not you, it's me. I'm, I'm the one squirreling <laughs> off of anything that gets said, which again is normal. So, uh, warm up questions. Yeah, that's right. I have sure. some of those. Yeah. Right, Cause you know, we're, we're not, we're not quite warmed up yet, David. So <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm on fire. <laughs> you are, sir. Uh, <laughs> the game of crowdfunding is kind of a standalone segment for all us geeks. So one of the things we like to ask is what makes you a geek, sir? Wow. That's a really good question. I, I guess uh, the, what I'm interested, you know, makes me a geek. Like I, you know, I have, you know, very much the same interest that I think as most geeks do, you know, which is things based out of imagination, fantasy and science fiction, comic books and superheroes. I love games, which is also tends to be a very big geek quality. I've been playing games my entire life, both video games and board games. And then just like my behavior, I tend to geek out about things. I get really excited about those things that interest me and, and, and really spend a lot of time on them, on, on, on these things, which are basically hobbies, but at the same time are passion because they're what I've decided to do for a living and, and what I feel like I'm good at. So I, I geek out about those things. And then uh, the other thing that we like to uh, say over at All Us Geeks is that you can really be a geek about anything if you have that geek level passion for it. Yes. So what we like to ask is, do you have any geek level passions for something that the typical person might not consider geek related? Yeah, I'd say traveling. Uh, I think travel is, is, I think for a lot of people is considered something very adventurous uh, or, you know, sort of luxurious or, or just like simply just, Hey, it's, it's vacationing. Uh, but to me, like I, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm a geek about travel because I have traveled a lot throughout my life. Um, I was actually born out of the United States, but, but grew up in this country, but then lived in a lot of other places afterwards. And, uh, I pursued that as, as a passion in itself, trying to experience as many different places as I, as I could, not just the locations, but like the cultures and learning about the people and, and learning what it was like to live there other than just kind of breeze through as a tourist. And, and I still do. Uh, even though my work with Gamogami has kept me locked here in Las Vegas most of the time because running a startup company takes all of your time, right? So I've had to put a lot of my traveling on hold, but I still read a lot. I still watch a, a lot of shows about traveling, about other locations. I like talking to people from different places. So I, I still consider that a very big part of my life. And I look forward to when I have the opportunity to, to jump into that again and go to even more places. One of the things too that I kind of chuckled about while you were, where you were talking there was the fact that you are a startup business and you're kind of off doing your own thing and kind of running with that entrepreneurial spirit. And one of the other things a lot of people on the outside looking in kind of do, right? Is that, Oh man, I, I wish I could. You know, be my own boss because then I'd get to take vacation whenever I want. And I, if I just don't feel like doing something today, I'm just not going to do it. And that is like the opposite of truth. 
when, when well, you're technically you can take a vacation well, whenever you want, but then you can't eat whenever you want. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> cause, that, cause as it is like, especially at the beginning, um, and if you, you know, it, hopefully that changes if you're, uh, successful enough. Uh, but at the beginning, every cent and every moment of your time is going into your company. And if, if you're not making that work, well, then you're just lighting your money on fire and that's money that you need to pay bills, money you need to eat. You can take time off, but you're not getting paid time off. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're costing yourself money depending on what business you're in uh, and what you're trying to run. But generally speaking, if you're not there, you're not making money. <laughs> Absolutely. Although, look, I, I do have to say, and I think most other entrepreneurs, you know, most of the people who, who have started up a business will say is that I love doing what I do. Like it's work, but it's the work that that I enjoy, right? So I don't necessarily want to take a vacation from it. Like, I, obviously, I want to take vacations because I need to rest. I need to spend time with family. I need to celebrate that and experience new things. But at the same time, I don't want to take a vacation from my work. I'm not, you know, it's never like, oh, I just, I, I can't think about another game. I can't look at another pixel. Like, no, I love what I'm doing. So I never need a getaway from that. Nice. Yeah. And that's, that's what everybody should kind of be striving for. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, you spend so much time at work. You should hopefully enjoy what you're doing, uh, because that's a, a significant chunk of your life. Absolutely. All right. Let's see here. You know, you kind of really touched on, I mean, you were in the video game space for quite a while and then you started Game Ogami. As of right now, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, Gameogami has pretty much been tabletop games, correct? So far, yes. Okay. So something that was always a plan with, with Gameogami and still is, is to actually develop both video games and tabletop games. That's where I was going to go. <laughs> right. I, I pick up what you're throwing at me. So, uh, so basically that is, that, that's why even the logo for Gameogami. There you is, go. <laughs> right. There you go. So it looks like a, like a origami version of a PlayStation controller. Right. So, and that's basically to, to hint at what Gameogami is all about, that intersection between paper games and video games. Nice. Nice. I, I like that. So I've basically uh, developed, uh, I've actually have a lot of, I think most designers would tell you they've got about 20 games that they're working on and I'm no different. <laughs> I've got a lot, a lot of, uh, was it irons in the fire? I think is the expression or juggling different things there. Basically I'm working on a lot of different games at, at once. Probably unwisely because it's it's always best to focus your time on on a single project. But the first two are Goblin's Jewel Fairies Rule, which is already released, and Immortal, which is is going to come out. Uh, and those are like you said, they're physical games, they're tabletop games. But they're also games that uh, work. I'm working on uh, developing as video games, uh, both for uh, the PC and for uh, mobile, for iOS, for for Android. Uh, so Goblin's Jewel Fairies Rule, uh, we've actually already started, uh, me and a, a programmer friend of mine already put together a little demo of it. So that's, that's a game that we will eventually, uh, re- release out there as, as a small little, uh, family card game, uh, of rhyming and reason that you can play on your phone or your tablet. And the same thing for Immortal. Eventually there, Immortal's going to be a video game, so you can play it with people around the world. So we'll have the same kind of gameplay experience, but instead of like, the more social aspect of sitting around the table playing it, it's going to be that more competitive scene of playing against a whole stream of opponents through asynchronous gameplay. Like, for example, like Summoner Wars uh, on the iOS or, or, or uh, Hero Academy has. Nice. And uh, thank you, by the way, for at least throwing in the Android in your description. Because <laughs> those of us here at All Us Geeks are, are Android users, so we always appreciate awesome. that and try to give love to anybody that comes over to the Android platform whenever possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't play favorites, right? You know, if you got you got a system. I want to get my game on there. <laughs> so you've always kind of had this then long term plan to to do both, but what made you? I guess what I want to kind of try to maybe pinpoint is, you know, you were specifically working on video games. You kind of already told me that you've always been kind of playing video games and board games all the time, but you were already in the video game space. What made you decide to kind of take a hiatus from that? I'll say, because you are coming back to it here. You're talking about, but take a bit of a hiatus from that, start your own company and have it be kind of with a tabletop, focus involved? That's a really good question. 
basically that that goes back to what we we're talking about a little earlier about uh, our personal skill sets and you know having sort of the, the holy grail of skills to do what you want to do i currently don't have that holy grail so even though I love video games and I've worked on a lot of video games as an artist and an animator, I don't have the skill set to create a video game from start to finish all by myself, right? So I need a talented programmer or, or multiple talented programmers to actually get these games uh, into a video game format, right? But I do have all the skill set needed to do a tabletop game, right? Because they're physical. They don't require any code. You know, in, in terms of prototyping, like as I'm sure many people have said, all you need are some index cards, a couple of pennies, right? Like you can prototype and playtest a board game really easily and really quickly. And then developing that, just well, you need to playtest it, you need to refine your design, you need to create some artwork for it. But none of that has the same kind of technical requirements and restrictions that that video games do. So that's why, as a one man studio and, and taking advantage of the skill set that I do possess, I focused on, on tabletop games first. But I am teaming up with other people. Uh, and as, as Demogon becomes, you know, more successful, as I'm able to grow to, you know, get to the point where I can actually take on employees. Uh, computer programmers would definitely be, be a big part of that so that we can then move on to creating video games as well on a, a much quicker basis. And then a question I like to ask as well, especially for somebody that does create the business like you have and has the, the focus that it is. And, and you've actually, you, you've actually kind of, well, I'll, I'll still probably ask you your preference, but you've kind of answered one of the questions I, I tend to, to ask just by the fact yeah. that you've created the company and you've got it going and now you're, you know, you're, you're dealing with Kickstarter, but you're, you're doing the business side of everything. Yes. So one of the questions I usually ask is, do you have any desire to kind of be a full blown publisher, like taking on other people's designs or is Game Ogami pretty much focused around the stuff that you guys are already kind of doing in house? Uh, yes and yes. So, uh, to, to answer, um, I am interested in taking on, uh, other people's games. Uh, when I, I see there's something there that, like, if, if the game, I think really has value and, and something really compelling about it. And if it's something that I think I personally can, can add to, can put, uh, you know, my own skills and resources to help make it a, a better game and, and get it out there. Uh, so, uh, as I talked before this interview, uh, I mentioned that, uh, I run the, game development and playtesting meetup group here in Las Vegas. Uh, so there's a, a lot of us that get together. Some uh, experienced designers like myself, others are, are newcomers, and, and some people who come are just people who want to help out and, and playtest and don't have any designs of their own. But we playtest uh, our, our games with each other and give each other feedback. And, and through that group, I found quite a few games, which if I had the resources, I would definitely jump on it and publish them. because I, I think they have real potential and they're really fun. So that's something I'm looking forward to in the future as, as Game Ogami grows. When I have those resources, I would like to take on a, a few other games from other designers, help uh, make those games a reality, put, you know, my, my own creative spin on them, the things that, that I think that I can really bring to the table, like my creative direction, the art direction, and my experience with actually publishing a, a few games already. So that's something I do want to be a small part of Game Ogami is, is picking select projects from other designers and, and bringing them on board. But for the time being, the majority of projects are going to be things that I already have in, in the works, games that, that I have designed myself. So for the time being, Game Ogami is a self-publisher. But yes, one day I would like to expand into a broader full-time publisher. Now I've got two questions floating around my head, and i got to figure out which one I want to ask first. Okay. <laughs> well, first of all, I just want to also point out that and say it's very cool that you've gotten involved in the community to the point of putting together a group uh, in your local area and being actively involved in that for playtest and design. So that is awesome because we need more of those around. Well, thank you. And actually, I'd like to give a shout out because I haven't done it all myself. Uh, the other organizer of the, of the group, uh, uh, his name is John Forte. He's a good friend of mine and he's also a published uh, game designer. So he's he's got quite a few games uh, out there with uh, Mindware and other companies. Uh, and he was a, a big part of getting this group started as well. Yeah. So that, that is awesome. I, I 
again, the more of those type of groups we can kind of get going on, the the better off I think we all are in the long run. Oh, definitely. I think like we had been earlier about Protospiel and Unpub and, and other meetup groups. Um, I, I think it's great that there's these resources available to people in a lot of cities, right? It seems like the new ones are popping up everywhere in different parts of, of the United States and probably the world all the time. So you have a, ha- a partial answer already for this question, but maybe you can expand on it for your games. Obviously, you have the meetup group like we were just talking about, but what is involved in the playtest process for you? Uh, for me, it's getting in front of, of other people. When when I first design a game, I playtest it myself usually a couple times just to run through to make sure nothing is broken. If you know if it actually plays, I can't really tell if it's fun by playing myself, but I can usually catch the you know the really big problems in it, the things that are just obviously broken just by playing you know sort of a solitaire version of the game, playing you know both opponents or, or whatever. So I do my own playtesting at the beginning just to verify that that the game actually works because I don't want to subject anybody to an absolutely terrible game. I don't want to waste people's time. I don't want to put that bad taste in their mouth. Like I don't bring my games to the playtest table until I'm at least fairly certain there's some potential there and that it, it won't be a total wash. Once I do get in front of people, it's usually some close friends, like some people from from the meetup group, for example, other designers who I run the game by a couple of times to really get a feel for it. And then after it's been through some refining, I start bringing it to other game nights, asking other gamer friends of mine to, to try it out. So I just gradually bring it to a, a broader and broader selection of, of people. And, you know, as, as it reaches certain stages of completion, right, until I know that the game is, is really fun and it's worth bringing to other people. Well, and that maybe partially answers the next question I was going to ask. But do you have a litmus test that you use to say, okay, this game is done. I'm ready to take it to Kickstarter or publish it. I mean, that next level where you want the general population's acceptance of the game. Basically, when other people tell me it's done and tell me to stop working on it, <laughs> like I have a tendency to work on things for a very long time. Uh, Goblin's Jewel Fairy's Rule, not so much because because it is such a simple game. I was able to iron that game out in a relatively short period of time compared to a, a lot of other game designs. Uh, and because it, was, it plays so quickly, I was able to playtest that a lot within a very short period of time. So that game uh, I, I knew was was ready to go fairly quickly, but Immortal, for example, is a project I've been working on for years. Right from the very beginning, people always said it was fun. I, I, I knew I had something here from the very first playtest, but it was never perfect in my mind. There was also like, you know, oh, maybe it took it took too long. You know, it, it maybe there was, you know, some balance issues like, wow, this one faction is just like it's ruining the game because it's just too good compared to the other factions. You know, so those kind of things like, you know, being a perfectionist and, and finding these little flaws the only way to iron out those flaws was just to play test it over and over and over again. And, and that took years. Okay. And when I finally, like you said, what the litmus said, like when I, when did I decide, okay, it was ready. When other people said, Hey, this is ready. Stop working on it. I want to buy this thing, right? Work on getting it done. Stop play testing. <laughs> it's always a, a great feeling when you got somebody at the table that's ready to buy your game that even if you don't think it's possibly there yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's a huge encouragement, right? Like, I mean, obviously your friends are going to say nice things, but if you're fortunate enough to have some, you know, critical friends like I do, a lot of those things they say aren't going to be so nice, right? They're going to be really, really honest and, and you need that honesty to help you. Uh, and blind playtesting helps out a lot with that too. Most of my games, I put out a print and play version pretty early out on Board Game Geek, right? So that I can get feedback from blind playtesters of the print and play. Uh, recently, uh, David McKenzie from uh, Clever Mojo Games uh, recently started up a service called uh, Game Designers Clubhouse, where uh, they will blind playtest your board games for you, and they will actually do a video session of it. So you'll actually see the game played, see you know what people's reactions were, and then get the Q&A session after. So we also use them um, in the development of Immortal, and they gave us really great feedback also. All right, so the question that I kind of think I know most of the answer to, but I'm going to ask you anyway, <laughs> is I'm always curious. I've got the wide spectrum of people that come on the show from one end where the publishing, manufacturing, all of that stuff is a quote unquote necessary evil that they're dealing with to be on Kickstarter just to get their game out all the way to, I've had people come on and say, um, yeah, we've 
found out that design wasn't our thing, but right. publishing was amazing. So that's what we're focusing on. We're full-time publishers now for other people's games and we just help polish them. So the full gambit of the spectrum, where in that spectrum do you fall for yourself? Well, publishing is evil. It's, it's pure <laughs> evil. And then all the stuff that goes with it, like the, the business, the, the logistics, you know, all the, the worrying about the money, trying to figure out where you're going to, you know, how you're going to come about the money, all that stuff is a pain. It's, is absolutely necessary. And you need to take that stuff very seriously if you're going to succeed, if you decide you're going to become a self publisher. But I don't consider that part of the business fun at all. Uh, at my heart, I am a creator. Right. So I, I love designing. I love making art and directing art. That that is what I love to do. And that's the joy of, of this for me. Everything else, uh, the business side of it, I've taken very seriously, but it's not fun. And which is why, like, for example, I've, I've teamed up with Game Salute and Goblin Shield Fairies Rule because they handled a lot of that stuff that I didn't want to handle. Uh, and it's why I'm, you know, I'm having other other people also help out, for example, the fulfillment of Kickstarter projects. Because you get the office, you know, every day with, you know, a truck full of boxes, personally sending them out, you know, all, all, all that kind of stuff is just not something that, that I want to do. Fair enough. All right. You know what? Actually, apparently I did not know what your answer was going to be. Okay. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've already taken a lot of those steps where and kind of really fleshed out. Like you said, you, you've taken it very seriously. Yeah. Well, I want to be, sm- I want to be smart with my business, you know, and I want to be able to, give people the things that they they pledged for without screwing up, right? Like, because they deserve it by backing my work, by giving that money early. Like, they really deserve to get something awesome, to, to get it to them in the most timely fashion we can, you know, to make sure they're not getting defective products or overpriced products or anything like that. I take all that stuff very seriously, but just for me, it's, that's not the fun part. All right. Okay, so this is probably a good time for us to kind of transition and talk more specifically about Immortal, uh, since we've mentioned it off and on so far. So right. why don't you go ahead and give us your elevator pitch for Immortal? Okay, so Immortal is a strategy board game of warring mythologies. So it's this conflict between the different gods and goddesses and heroes and monsters of different world cultures. So we have the ancient Greeks. Uh, with their gods like Zeus in Athena and monsters like Medusa and the Minotaur. Uh, we've got the Norse, uh, with, you know, gods like Thor and Odin and, and Loki and, and big monsters like the Midgard serpent. Uh, we have, uh, Japanese mythologies represented. Uh, so we have characters like Raijin and Fujin, you know, the, the demons of, uh, thunder and wind. Amaterasu, which is the sun goddess, which, uh, some of your listeners might know from the video game Okami, who is trapped in the form of a wolf. We also have uh, characters from Native American legend, like I mentioned earlier, the Wendigo, the Great Spirit, uh, Coyote, and, and Silver Fox. So world mythology was always a passion of mine. So I wanted to grab all these really fantastic characters that I've loved since a childhood, and that's, that people have really loved and carried their imagination for thousands of years. And I wanted to put them in this game and represent them both visually and, and in a gameplay sense, give each character, uh, each character and each faction uh, a really solid uh, flavor and in, in, in particular strategies that they can be used within the game. So uh, Immortal it encompasses all that, it encompasses this mythological theme, the individual personalities of those characters, and the strategic flavor of each faction. Yeah, I asked you to do an elevator pitch, and then you answered like two more questions I was going to ask. So I don't even know if I need to be here. I'm welcome. Like- I well, might, you're getting a bargain here. I might just go upstairs, grab a sandwich, and let you finish the interview. <laughs> Cause hey, listeners, Jeff is going to go get a sandwich. This is just me and you now, all right? Let's just relax. <laughs> just get comfortable. Let's get cozy. Because, you know, you're, you're doing this job better than I am at the moment. <laughs> you're making me feel like a DJ, right? <laughs> so, okay, you know, one of the things I heard you kind of mention when you were talking about the playtesting and, and bringing it to the groups was, of course, balancing factions so how difficult was that for you to do in, in a game like this to make sure that you had you know uh, factions that weren't necessarily overpowering from one or the other and, and to make them all fun for people to play uh that, w- that was a combination of sort of like a scientific and mathematical approach and just like a, a feel approach right the feeling uh, that you get when when you're playtesting so uh, immortal has these character cards that have uh, different uh, statistics uh, on each edge. This is their attack strength and defense strength, right? So 
Uh, a character, uh, for example, like Medusa might have a five as her strength value in the West, four in the North, a two in the East, and uh, another five in the South, for example, right? So those numbers are, are used to attack in those different directions uh, when the card is, is placed on the battlefield. The battlefield of Immortal is made up of a grid uh, of, of different spaces, and your goal in the game is to control that grid by placing your cards on the battlefield, which will have your control counter on them, and attack other players' cards. And when your your card's strength is compared to the defending card strength, if your strength is higher, then you are able to capture their card and remove their token and put your own. So it's kind of like an Othello, you know, mechanism where uh, you're able to take over uh, other pieces, right? And this is inspired by, um, originally inspired by, uh, there's a, a video game, uh, mini game called Triple Triad, which was uh, part of uh, one of the Final Fantasy games back in the day. And that had had a, a similar mechanism of, of using numbers to uh, capture uh, other cards. So, so kind of like tic-tac-toe, but with numbers on, on every side for your X's and O's, so you can switch them in back. That makes sense. Nice, yeah. So, so Mortal has that, that similar kind of mechanism where you're capturing other cards by comparing the numbers on them, but you're also triggering special abilities, which appear on all the cards. So you, a special ability might buff surrounding cards. Uh, it might give penalties to enemy cards. It can remove cards from the board. It can allow cards to be placed and moved around. It can place on areas that aren't even technically part of the board. Like the Japanese have this void walker ability, which allows them to go on non-existing spaces in order to attack cards that are on real spaces. So it's kind of like they attack from the shadows kind of thing. So there's all these different special abilities that also come into play. Uh, but the uh, initial game game balance, I approached mathematically, where I gave each uh, card of a certain level. There's three levels in the game, levels one, two, and three for the cards. Level one are the weakest cards that you start with, and level three are the really heavy hitters like Zeus and, and Odin and, and others, uh, you know, really top tier gods of your pantheon, your faction. So for each level, I decided, okay, what's the total value that these numbers are supposed to add up to? So for example, level ones have an average total of 14. So those four sides, the values on those four sides typically add up to 14, right? That, so that's like what constitutes in a, a standard card so that they could all be balanced with each other. So there's no cards that had just randomly overpowered numbers. So those numbers were arranged in different orientations and combinations. Like I said, for example, Medusa might have a five in the West, a five in the South, while another character might have like a six in the North and a six in the South, but maybe a one on the East and the West. So they're really strong when they're attacking, defending North and South, but incredibly vulnerable on the East and the West. But all the numbers that six plus six plus one plus one as up to 14. So the numbers are the same across all the cards. It's just different configurations. And then through playtesting, if I found that certain special abilities were more powerful than others, to an extent where maybe they affected the balance, then I would give that card a penalty. I'd reduce the, the card stats by a couple of points in order to compensate for that really powerful ability. And vice versa. There's some abilities which are negatives in Immortal like the Slayer ability that the Greeks have. They can destroy other cards when they capture them, removing them from the battlefield and sending them to the underworld, uh, which sometimes can be a good thing, but that's often a bad thing because the goal in Immortal is you're trying to capture those cards, not knock them off the board. So if you destroy cards, you're really losing a chance for control there. So in order to balance the, the fact out of that negative ability, those cards that have Slayer, like like Medusa, for example, or, or Hades, uh, have uh, a bonus of, of points. They have four more points than the average card of, of their level in order to compensate for that negative ability. So by setting that sort of standard numbers where I knew, okay, all the cards were technically equal to each other, then through playtesting, it helped me figure out which abilities really were stronger because I knew it was the abilities causing those those balance problems, not the stats. And then I could dial those in by either changing the ability or weakening the stats of those cards in order to compensate. So let's see. It's a two to four player game. What what's the game play time on on this one? Uh, if you're playing the standard game, it's about twenty minutes per player for new players. Uh, I, th- I think once players are you know more experienced with the game, they might be able to play maybe twelve to fifteen minutes per player for the play time. For example, like a three player game, it's, at least for your first game, it's going to average about an hour. Okay. Uh, and if you play some of the game variants, like there's the skirmish game variant, you're actually playing half a game there, just playing a, a single act uh, using a uh, customized mini deck of cards. You're only using six cards as opposed to 
the 18 cards you normally start with a Pantheon. And so those games go a lot faster. Like a two-player game of that could probably be played in about 10 to 15 minutes. One of the things I uh, ask off and on is sometimes a rule book can make or break a game. So what are you doing to make sure that your rule book is, is solid and doesn't need the designer in a box syndrome for people to pick it up and play? Yeah, I, I'm very, very passionate. Well, I don't know if passionate is the right word, but I'm very, I'm very mindful of creating rule books that don't rely on people to then go and look up a frequently asked questions online or something like that. Like I want the rule books to be all inclusive and very clear. So, cause that's, that's what the rule book's there for. It's to teach people the game. And, and if it leaves out information or isn't clear enough in those rules, then, then I failed. So I put a lot of time, uh, into including everything I can in the rule book, which may make the rule book a little long. Goblin's Rule Fairy's Rule had a very tiny rule book because it's a very tiny game. But Immortal, because it's got so many special abilities and so many game variants and stuff, it's probably a little bit longer rule book than, than your typical one to read. But it's because I want to make sure everything's there. Like that's the Bible for the game. And if I've done my job right, nobody should really have to ask questions online. I know it's going to happen. I know it can't be perfect. I know people are going to post questions on BoardGameGeek and I'm always there to answer those questions, but I'm, I'm still determined to make sure the, the rule book is as good as it can be. So what I'm doing to ensure that is I'm spending a lot of time on that, writing it, rewriting it, reviewing it. I have other people who uh, have volunteered to to edit it. So I've put it in front of a lot of other people who have given me really good feedback. So from other gamers, you know, who read a lot of rule books, telling me, okay, these are things you need to change. I take that feedback really seriously and incorporate it in this one for Immortal. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of people might need to think about doing more often because you're going to be your worst editor. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Cause you know what you've meant. You've created the game. You know what you're thinking. Uh, and you, if you've written it, you may even kind of gloss over it as what you meant to say versus what got put on paper sometimes. So, you know, you can't necessarily be the writer and editor and everything's going to come out fine. You, you kind of, absolutely. You kind of want those extra eyes and, and somebody not really, and really you kind of want somebody that maybe even hasn't played it right yes yeah uh, uh, like th that's absolutely right like you need those extra eyes and, and perspective because just like you can't be the sole play tester of a game you're designing right like you got to get in front of other people you need other people's perspectives and the same thing goes for something you're writing especially something as technical as as a rule book let's see before i i want to ask you or or talk a little bit about lessons that you've learned from kickstarter uh, but before I do that, I like to ask this question. So let's say somebody has been listening to our interview and they either finish or pause, whatever it is, but they go over and check out the Kickstarter page. They're looking at Please it. Do. <laughs> <laughs> they're looking at it. And of course, they're look, they're going over to the Kickstarter page because we always they're put drooling. They're drooling and, 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 and they're swooning. <laughs> And they're looking at it because we always put the link in the show notes. Everybody remember awesome. that. <laughs> awesome. So they've clicked on the link from the show notes and gone over and checked out the game. And let's say somebody's like, you know what? I, I might be interested in this, but I'm not 100% sure. They're kind of on the fence. So what would you tell them? What are a couple things that you would give them to make them go, you know what, David, you're absolutely right. I have to back this right now. Uh, cause I think you and your friends are going to enjoy it. Like this, this is a game that's meant to play with other people over and over again, right? Like it's meant to be a community type game that's very competitive in nature where you're constantly trying to play it again to learn new strategies and to one up your buddies, you know, like, like Magic the Gathering or other really competitive games that have a community built around them. That's what Immortal is designed to be, right? So it's meant to be a game that you're going to play for a really long time. And I plan to, to support that by releasing more content for it, right? I want to bring more mythologies into the game, new gameplay ideas I have, you know, by releasing new master sets and new expansions. So this is a game that I'm in for the long haul, and I think you and your friends are going to be too once you play it. And then one thing I want to point out, just kind of listening to what you were saying about the game, but we should point out that this is a standalone game. 
Yes. Right? It, the, you're not going to, there's not random boosters or anything like that. You're not trying to create the next magic, basically. No, it's, it's not a collectible card game. The only reason I brought up magic is just because it's got that similar, you know, competitive feel where you're, you can, you can customize your deck, but the decks are completely playable out of the box, right? You can play the Greeks or the Norse just, you know, or the other factions as is. And they're really well balanced and really fun to play, but you do have that customizability of changing up your deck to try out different strategies. Um, and, and just the fun of, of pitting those different factions or custom decks uh, against each other. So those kind of, you know, competitive games where, you know, you, you learn the cards, you learn the factions and, and part of the fun and the, the challenge of the game is adapting to those specific strategies. That's what Immortal is, is about. But it, like you said, it is a standalone game. It comes with four factions ready to play, you know, all the components you need. And it's meant to be expandable with adding more factions to the game in the future. But all you need to play is, is what's in this box, which you can order on Kickstarter. And then what's the price for getting the game on the Kickstarter? Uh, it depends on which level you want to pledge at. So the, the base level of the game, which is, like I said, all four factions, Modular board tiles, which are used to create the battlefield, all, all the tokens. We have a um, myth cards, which come with the game. They aren't used to play the game, but they have all the artwork from the characters on one side and stories on the other side. So you can learn about the myths of these characters, especially, for example, say you don't know a, a lot about Native American mythology. Well, now you can learn, you know, about these different characters like, like Tarkat or, or Raven or Spider Grandmother and, and all the other cast of characters we have. You can, you know, ogle over the artwork and, and read these character descriptions in between your turn or, or in between games, right? So there's a lot of stuff packed in this box. That is uh, $49 for a pledge level, and it includes free shipping in the United States or greatly discounted shipping overseas in, uh, to our international backers. Uh, if you want to get extra stuff for the game, at the $59 level, you get that base game that you know comes with that big ticket-to-ride size box for the Immortal Master set. But you also get a pack of uh, Mirror Match cards, which are basically duplicates of every character card in the game. So now you can play Mirror Matches of factions against each other, like Greek versus Greek, or Norse versus Japanese versus Native American versus Native American, right? So multiple players can choose the same factions and pitting them against them now with those mirror match cards. And we've also uh, created uh, promo cards, so special cards that are limited edition, which you can get now through the Kickstarter. They might be available afterwards, like through Gamagami's website or maybe the Board Game Geek Store, but the best chance to get them right now is is through this Kickstarter. So these are some special cards that uh, you can mix into the different decks for your own customization that uh, are a little extra reward to our backers for, for backing us early. Uh, and on top of that, there's also add-ons for an art book add-on to the game as well. So there are a lot of different pledge levels, but the base level of the game is $49, and the deluxe game with those extras, like the promo cards and the mirror match cards, that's $59. And both of those include free shipping in the USA. At the end here, I always do a quick uh, kind of stat count, if you will, of, of the campaign so we'll come back around to it uh but for sure. right now how about we talk about what kind of lessons would you like to share about the kickstarter process with this being a third project right i mean second game second but, game right. third third project right, I, yeah. that i've created and managed myself but actually fourth project i've been involved in okay uh, so Goblin's Jewel Fairies Rule is the game that, that I developed, but Game Salute actually ran uh, the campaign for that because uh, we were one of their uh, Powered by Game Salute titles. So they did the, they built the page. I was a big part of that campaign, like getting involved with it, talking with people, but they actually ran it and were in charge of the fulfillment of the rewards and, and all of that. So that was kind of a project where I was half involved in. And then these latest three projects I've ran completely myself. We've got listeners that are either, uh, been away from Kickstarter for a while or are kind of approaching for the potentially their first Kickstarter or maybe even still designing their game with the idea of eventually going to Kickstarter. So we always like to kind of give them some lessons learned from either people that have just gotten into Kickstarter and then all the research and stuff they've done or people like yourself who have done multiple Kickstarters. So what kind of Things did you have to do to kind of get Immortal ready for launch? 
Sure. When it comes to like advice and, and things I've learned and, and, and stuff like that, we could probably do an entire other episode on that. <laughs> and, and if you, if you'd like to talk to me again in the future, I'd love to come on again and, and, and do a, a longer segment about that since we don't have much time left. But just really quickly to fire off some tips, things that I've learned is, uh, one, you need allies. Get some allies. Get, don't do this all yourself. You know, find out the things that either you don't have the time to do or maybe you're not very good at. Find someone else to do that, whether that's a partner or another company that can handle that, volunteers. You need those allies to take on that extra work, and, and they can also really help you with the promotion because in addition to your own social network and, and business network and what have you that you're promoting this project to, those other people that you've worked on it with can also help promote and show the game off on Kickstarter to other people, right? So allies is the first thing I'd say. Second thing I'd say is do your research. You know, this is kind of an obvious one, but... That research can take a long time. I've run, now this is, like I said, sort of the three and a half uh, Kickstarter project that, that I've run, but I've been researching all this stuff for years and I never stop researching. You know, I, I look at other Kickstarter projects. I listen to, to podcasts about Kickstarter advice, you know, like yours and, and, and like others. And, and I'm constantly adapting my, my strategies based on this advice and what's going on out there. And, and from what you'll see from this research, you'll see that Kickstarter has become incredibly competitive. There's so many projects, especially in, in the game space, all out at the same time. So many of them are good. And a lot of them will probably have much bigger budgets from much bigger companies than you, right? So in order to compete at their level, you are going to have to, to fight and scrape and make sure you have the most solid, most appealing project you have and fight every minute just to get the attention, to constantly be promoting and marketing your project, getting it out there. It takes a ton of work because it's so competitive, but doing your research, paying attention to what other projects are doing right and what they're doing wrong will help you be competitive. You know, one of the things I'll kind of chime in on is a lot of times on this show, we talk a bit about, you know, the some of the social media stuff and whatnot, and, and specifically tend to maybe focus in on some of the Facebook groups and stuff. But uh, David and I kind of started having our conversation about him potentially coming on the show because of Twitter. Yes. And we should mention that there's a, a basically, just like Board Game Hour, there is a Kickstarter hour Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Central Time, uh, since that's what I know it by. <laughs> right. Uh, and there's a Kickstarter hour every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Central Time that you can actively get involved in. And that is something that we would love to see more people get involved in. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, I attend it whenever I can. Um, I, I've had to miss a few or come in late, but I try to get there when I can. And that is actually how David and I kind of started talking uh, for him to kind of come on and, and for us to have this interview. So uh, even from that aspect, I mean, it, it we we kind of networked a bit, but we also we're able to share advice and feedback and, and all of that stuff. And just like board game hour, there are questions and sometimes, you know, and then like a theme to the, the day. Uh, but again, Kickstarter hour is on Tuesdays at 1 PM central time. And definitely, you know, again, it never hurts to get involved in the social aspect of any part of gaming and Kickstarter and stuff, and especially well before you actually launch. Yeah, it's always great to see you there when, when you do show up for Kickstarter because you always have some really great input for those discussions. For kick, uh, It's the Kickstarter hour hashtag on Twitter, right? So just like the board game hour. So for that one hour, just, you know, just listen to that hashtag and, and send your tweets out with that Kickstarter hour hashtag to be part of our conversation. And we, we usually have like a different topic each week, but we also just give free form advice too, and in free form discussions of uh, ongoing and past Kickstarter projects. So it's always glad when I see that, you know, all us geeks, you know, tweets start coming in I'm like, Oh yes. All right. So this is another great uh, member we have coming back for the Kickstarter hour. Yeah. Like I said, I try to get there when I can. Sometimes I can't cause it, 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 it all depends on, you know, I'm still at work at that time. So it depends on my, if I can wrap my lunch around it or take my <laughs> break or something. Yeah. But I, I, I've enjoyed being there so far and I'd love to see some more people participate as well because I think just like anything else, the more people that participate and the more it grows, the, the, just the, the better and more solid feedback and networking and all that good stuff that we can kind of do for one another. Absolutely. And, and I intentionally scheduled it 
during that same hour, you know, different day, but the same hour as board game hour and indie dev hour. So board game hour is on Mondays, uh, you know, at, like you said, 1 p.m. Central time, you know, uh, 11 a.m. Pacific time. Uh, indie dev hour is the same time on Wednesdays. So Kickstarter hour is, is, is that time frame now, that, that 1 p.m. Central time on Tuesdays, kind of sandwiched in between those two others during the week. Uh, because we wanted to attract people from from those different segments and, and get them used to that regular time. All right. So, yes, definitely come join us on a Tuesday if you have the time. Please. And answer some questions and or, or ask some questions even and just interact. And it's it's a, a good community that's uh, starting off and growing, and we want to see it grow even more. Absolutely. So before we wrap up here, I just want to ask you, one, is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to make sure we cover? Uh, I think we, we covered, uh, all the really important stuff. Like I said, if, if you ever want to have me back, I would love to come back and, and talk more about Kickstarter with you. Uh, especially, you know, more advice for, for new creators. But, uh, just, you know, the, the main thing to get across is, uh, if you thought this, uh, episode was interesting and, and Immortal sounds like an interesting game to you, just look for it on, uh, Kickstarter, Immortal. And if you have any questions about the game, you can post them there or on Board Game Geek. I'm very active there as well. Yeah, and I would love to have you back if you want to do uh, an episode that's just on Kickstarter advice. That sounds amazing to me, and this has been an awesome conversation, so I wouldn't mind continuing that conversation sometime. Likewise. So now what I want to know is if if people are seeking you out, how should they look for you? Uh, so they can look uh, for gameogami.com. Uh, it's like origami, but game in front. Uh, so G-A-M-E hyphen o hyphen g a m i gameogami.com that's uh, my company's website you can also find me under the same name on uh my facebook page or on twitter which is at gameogami just without the hyphens and you can also look for immortal on kickstarter and, and send me messages through kickstarter on board game geek uh, my username is gameogami there uh, my actual name is david sanuesa so basically stalk me on the internet through one of these uh, uh, different ways and you can get in touch with me. All right. And as always, uh, that and the link for the Kickstarter will be in the show notes. So uh, we will provide you links to be able to get a hold of David. With that, though, here's where we are. We are at Immortal is on Kickstarter right now. <laughs> a two to four player game of uh, mythic combat, mythic strategy game where you get to interact and and try to take control as various gods with various faction powers uh looks amazing thank you awesome artwork and it just looks like a beautiful game so definitely if this conversation or the game itself or both you know hopefully both (laughs) have appealed to you and this is something you want to go check out go check out immortal on kickstarter right now david is looking for twenty one thousand four hundred fifty dollars he's a little over nine thousand dollars right now and this goes until july 2nd 2015 uh, i want to point out too that is by my time so it's uh like 11 30 in the morning so just to be safe make sure you check it out by july 1st yes <laughs> uh yeah. july 1st 2015 but go check it out go back it if it's something that you're interested in and again check the show notes i'll give you a way to make sure you can get a hold of david you can go check out the kickstarter from there but go check it out, and if it's something that you think you will enjoy, make sure you back it. Thank you. And I just want to say I'm, I'm not sure exactly what day this episode is, is going to air, but uh, as as of the time of recording, we're, we're just on the third day of our project and have 28 days left to go. So this is going to be uh, – there's you know, still a lot ahead, right? There's four more weeks, so this is going to be – you know, uh, both a mental and, and emotional roller coaster, but I, I, I'm really excited to see where we end up in the end and how far we're able to take Immortal along with uh, your guys' help. So thank you. Well, David, thank you for coming on the show tonight. It's been, like I said before, it's been an awesome conversation. I was uh, glad we were able to have this conversation, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun. And uh, yeah, just let me know whenever you want me back on. I'd love to do it. Thank you. Sounds good. All right, everybody. There you go. That is another interview for you and another Kickstarter project for you to check out. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening to what we have to say. Make sure you check out the Kickstarter. And of course, I'll be back with more interviews very soon. 
Thanks for listening. Thank you for checking out a United Geeks Network family member. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other online media with a geek culture slant, head over to unitedgeeksnetwork.com where you will find Broken Prism Reviews, a YouTube channel bringing you game reviews in three parts, unboxing, express gameplay, and a quick rundown of what makes the game stand out. The United Geeks Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at unitedgeeksnetwork.com.